0: this message can be really short because it's pretty much been said. Um, I don't know. I, oh, I, there was one other thing I wanted to mention. I got, got um, uh, New Year's is just about homeless. People planning what they're doing in, in the evenings or uh, planning to go to bed. Um, some variation. Um, often age-dependent. Um, Jasper, Kieran, Kyron and Liam, oh, and um, JJ, uh, they're all down in Queenstown, Monica. They've joined the Red Frogs crew. Now, who here knows what Red Frogs are? Yeah. Oh, a bunch of you do. Just for those who don't, um, it, it's actually pretty stunning. <laughs> it's kind of a, um, it's like chaplaincy. Oh, I see we have, some, is it just, ta- yeah. that's right. I'll, I'll come and, um, I'm just going to talk away from the mic for a moment. They're heading down to Queenstown. What they do is they have a whole bunch of young people who come out. They um, head out to, they head out. To, um, late at night and they join all the drunk people and they try and care for them. They don't try to um, lead people to Jesus, if you've ever tried doing that with a drunk person. Well, it's arguable as who you are leading to Jesus at that point in time. In fact, engaging in any deep philosophical conversation with someone who is drunk generally doesn't work that well. Still no joy? No. Okay. It's outstanding. In fact, I reckon it's one of the best things ever. I really do. I think, that, uh, I think that this kind of stuff where you get to care for others, to welcome the stranger, that's awesome. And it, uh, it's called red frogs because in Australia, uh, the guy who started it used to go into nightclubs to try and care for the people who are uh, losing the plot. And uh, his way of getting is he bribed people with red frogs, which is the kind of the equivalent of a chocolate fish. You know how we like chocolate fish in New Zealand? Well, you can't get chocolate fish in Australia but you can get red frogs. I discovered this because I taught a course in Australia and promised if they caught me out on the mistake, I would give them a chocolate fish, and they got really excited. And I didn't realize that was because they were thinking, what's a chocolate fish? (laughs) And I made a mistake. And I couldn't give them a chocolate fish, it was terrible. Okay, so New Year's, most of us, uh, there will be people here who are good at making New Year's resolutions, and good on you, I'm proud of you, but actually you're probably not the majority. Most of us have made some great New Year's resolutions in the past and failed to keep them. As the, uh, you know, that New Year's um, prayer goes Dear Lord, so far I've, this year I've done well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't uh, lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. <sighs> and from then on, I'll probably need some more help. I've got a terrible track record at New Year's resolutions because. I haven't had a great sense of who I am, and so it's kind of like in our world, uh, our heroes, I grew up with a six million dollar man, you know, these super, uh, modern day versions of Marvel, you know, these, these, you kind of want to go from here to be superhero in a moment. You just want the costume, maybe not the underpants on the outside, but you just want a quick sort of short soakers and there, and if you make New Year's resolutions like that, it doesn't work. In fact, the New Year's Resolution thing, I wonder if it's a particularly Western thing, a particularly individualistic thing. I was thinking about it and thinking, why? I mean, Christians, we should be about change. We're about repentance, aren't we? Why are we loving this? Why aren't we sort of in boots and all? And I wonder if one of the problems for us is that we make it all about us. Now, as it's a hallmark of an individualistic society, Um, And there's a measure um, in it. um, New Zealand comes fourth, I don't know if you can see the chart. The top one is the United States, there's a surprise isn't you, followed by Australia, and then um, the United Kingdom, just for those immigrants who were feeling smug a moment ago, um, the Netherlands, and then New Zealand. Now what they say about individualistic cultures is that they tend to be more focused on tasks than relationships. I certainly see myself in that. They often have a smaller nuclear family. They're very self-oriented. They often have a guilt culture. Um, they believe everybody has the right to their private life. And they, the, the line, have you ever heard the line, pull yourself up by your own boot laces? That's a very individualistic culture's line. Um, so what do you reckon? Is that us? Well, here's a little litmus test. What do you see on the picture next to us? What I am told is that in an individualistic culture, we will focus on the speaker. That's the one we're paying most attention to. And that in a more, less individualistic culture, your interest is the crowd. The speaker's not that important because he's out on his own. Okay, so I think this is what we do. With that, well, it's what I've done with my New Year's resolutions is I've made them about me and, and failed abysmally. And I wonder, this individualism, how strongly has it washed over us? So when I was reading this, I I found a verse, and I thought, oh, I'll put that verse up. And I I went to the Logos website, because I have Logos on my, and, and it had this lovely graphic. Here it is, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's in bold? I press on. I. Yep. And then down below, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's have a look at the actual verse. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. Already you've got a shift. Instead of it just being about me, but Christ possessed me. There's somebody else in the relationship, and what they do is more important. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Well, I'm with you with my New Year's resolutions. (laughs) But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Here's the I press on, so I have a part to play to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And that's the bit that I've missed for New Year's resolutions. It's not about me deciding I'm going to be better. But what are you calling me to, God? What's your idea of a better column? What does that look like? I think there is a chance in a new year to think about, um, uh, to think about who do you want to be. But I'd actually ask you to think more about who does God want you to be. And David prayed absolutely right. I can't promise you a great next year. I hope it is. Those hopes. What we're promised is God's presence. God working in us, God calling us. And that God will lead you. The Bible doesn't do as much future telling as we'd like it to. And the writers of Psalms, when they write, they tend to say, well, Psalm 23, that one we pull out when people are in trouble. What does it say? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The language is, I'm being led through this, through good and bad. But what I'm promised is you will be with me in the darkest valley. The promise is present, and the psalmist pays attention to it. And then in Psalm 139, you get that sort of classic on your terrible day when you're trying to run away from God. It says, kind of, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Nah. Good luck. You can try, and we do. But God was present there too. Can't outrun this God. Which is why I'm not a natural optimist, but in the next year, God is calling us into a new year we will find God present in all of that, good and bad. So maybe I could be a bit more optimistic. So, just pause for a moment. Where was God present for you in this year? When did you feel most connected with God? If at this moment you're going, oh, stuff, it's okay. It's actually not, always instant that we notice. In fact, I think we spend a lot of our lives not noticing God's presence. We're kind of used to uh, we've sung a bunch of songs the presence of God is here it's an emotional, With that, we, we'll name that we struggle outside of that and then, well I'm a Pākehā I know how to stuff my emotions when is God present? And when we're busy, well We cannot notice the people next to us, let alone the God. God is always present through all of this year, even in the hardest times. And maybe that's why Jesus tells us to consider the lilies of the field. I mean, it's kind of, I'm not a flower person, but to stop and God's present here every bit of creation So if you were thinking about this year, I think, and we weren't thinking about it as a task, if we're thinking about calling, I'd want to put love at the center. I'd want to have that call to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and to love your neighbor. I want to put that in there. and, And love expresses itself in lots of ways. And I can't actually tell you what that looks like but I can tell you one of the starting points of it. When you love someone, you notice them. When you love someone, you listen to them. What they have to say is important. When you love someone, you look at them. You ever been at the table across from someone, and they won't meet your eyes? Now there's a bunch of cultural stuff that can be there but sometimes it's because actually there's something and they just can't look at you. When you love someone, you look at them. And I I put that last word longing there because there is a longing. So what would it mean in this coming year to love God? Or some of it would be how we pray and taking time to pray. And and for those of you who are already feeling bad, um, just to want to want to pray. That that's actually spiritual directors will say that's the start. Just to want to be, and most of us do. That's why we feel bad when people talk about prayer, because we want more than we have, and that's a good longing. And maybe I don't know. You look around for what you can grab, tools that can help you read the Bible so that you can read more about Jesus. There is, I'll briefly say, there's a Bible 2020 initiative with an app. trying to encourage everybody to read a bit of the Bible online, so if you're an appy person and you like that idea, check it out. But we know that love of God gets expressed in other areas too, and they've been mentioned. Your neighbors. So Linda told a lovely story, and so did Isaac. Good one, Isaac. And I've got another for you. Me and Paul went for a ride in Bottle Lake, um, last week and came across someone who'd come off their bike and they were just sort of recovering. It wasn't terrible, they'd scraped up their arm and we said, oh, tell you what, we'll ride back with you, make sure you get safe you know, that kind of stuff. And that guy traced us down on Christmas Eve and gave us chocolates. Um, And all it took was to be present and to be willing to put down our agendas. We wanted to go for a ride but actually, no, 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 this is a person in, in need and let's do something about it. It's actually happening amongst us. But this thing of neighbouring, loving your neighbour, takes time. I read this week one of the toughest things for us is we want to jump from uh, no community to five years' worth of community. And the guy said, listen, you've got to understand, if you want to have a community that's kind of 30 years' worth of community, you need to be there 30 years. There's no shortcut. People don't just defrost like that. It takes time and space. And we're in a rush, we Christians. To love your neighbours. So what would it look like for you to love the people who are near you? And then you'd want to put in love your neighbour as yourself or loving ourselves. And for some of us, well, you know, we express that in, oh, I need to get fitter, I need to be less pudgy. I uh, would like to change my self-talk. So it's more positive. We've got lots of, our culture is very big on that, but we always make it individualist, ours. And I long for me to have this sense of, what are you calling me to? What are you calling us to? And then the last bit, which seems a bit odd, I've put this time and place. Jesus is known as Jesus of Nazareth. Simon of Cyrene, they're, they're, they were known, and he doesn't disclaim that. We all live at our time and place. I am currently Colin of Parklands. If you'll let me, I could be Colin of North Shore because my house is more that way. But, but, but what does it mean to live where we are at this time and this place? David and Jill of Tomorrow Park. What does it mean for us to live where we are? There's, um, in the world of Christianity, we have a thousand theories of how to do it right. But actually, the challenge is to live it right. And that's different for each of us. How do we do this? What does it look like to be in this time and place? There's a, a slightly scary verse Um, which I put far too small, from 1 John. This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And I've tended to skip that. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And I think in our culture, we tend to think of Jesus Christ as the theory, but actually it has to be lived, our faith. So what does it mean for us to love God, to be in this relationship in this time and place? Not a theory, but a Colin or David or Jill or Carol or next year. What could you lean into? How would we notice what God is doing? How would we listen, look, or long? Now, if at this point you're feeling frustrated... There's not enough structure to it. Well, I thought we'd get a little bit more practical. All those who are feeling mobile. Now, if you are not feeling mobile, you are invited to stay here. The kettle has boiled. Yep, there's tea and coffee. We're gonna come back here. Um, Brief health and safety talk. We're gonna go into that building over there. It is not inherently a safe place. So I would like you not to swing on things, push things, I'd like you to be aware that there are cracks in the floor, that there are dangling bits from the ceiling. not loads of them. But I'd like us to go in because I think this is the perfect metaphor for next year. I think we have the structure of our lives already here, things that we do. And there are brilliant parts of it, just as that building is. But the next year is a blank. It's an empty space, which we have next door. It's as yet unfilled. And all of us have got some remedial work that we could do as we are going to have to here. And so what I've done is I've put a cross in the middle of the the floor because that's kind of all there is. Um, There's two candles there, one that's burnt down. You could think of that as the last year and one that's the, um, the last candle from the Advent wreath, the white one, to indicate the presence of God. There are some candles you could light. There are some pens, some permanent pens. You have permission to write something with a couple of provisos, please don't write on windows or doors, okay? Because they're likely to... Um, uh, please don't write on windows or doors. We might sell the doors. Uh, there's a couple of large hunks of timber leaning up. So Don't write on the bits that someone might sell, okay? You could write something, a prayer. But I'd like you to think about, in terms of your response to God, where would you like to be? Sound all right? So you've got the health and safety. we are all agreed you're going to be careful not swing on things, climb up the scaffolding? No. Yep, yep. Uh, there will be candles and lit flames, okay? Let's go.